you to name the most famous story in the Bible, what would you name? That'd be a pretty good challenge, wouldn't it? There's a lot of famous Bible stories. Uh, maybe the story of Noah. Did you hear there's a movie coming out about Noah? I read a review the other day said it doesn't mention the name of God one time in the story about Noah. That's pretty incredible, isn't it? But Noah would be a famous story from the Bible. Or uh, what about David and Goliath? That's a famous Bible story. What would you name if I asked you to name the most famous Bible story? What if I narrowed it down some? What if I asked you to tell me the most famous information or story found in the New Testament? Oh, that's different, of course. Uh, that'd have to be about Jesus, maybe Jesus' birth or certainly his death, burial, and resurrection, famous information from the New Testament. What if I narrowed it down just a little bit more? What if I ask you to name the most famous parable story in the New Testament? Obviously, Jesus taught by parables, taught lots of parables. Many of them are famous. What would you think would be the most famous of the parables? We were guessing, I, I put that to a couple fellows before services, and Arthur guessed the one I have in mind, the Good Samaritan. I think the Good Samaritan has to at least rank up there among the most remembered stories that Jesus ever told. And you know what? People who are not even really well acquainted with the Bible know of the Good Samaritan. In fact, most states, I think here in Tennessee, we have a law called the Good Samaritan Law. And that is that if you see someone in trouble... There's an expectation, an obligation on your part to try and step up and help in, in crisis or emergency kinds of situations. The story of the Good Samaritan is well known. You remember, as Josh just read for us a few moments ago, how that the, the setup of that parable, the reason that Jesus taught it was that a lawyer came to him and asked him, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And, and Jesus said, well, what do you think? What do you read in the law? And the man basically says, you've got to love God and you've got to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, that's right, do that and you'll be fine. And, but he wanted to justify himself, so he said, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus proceeded, in answer to that question, Jesus proceeded to tell the famous story of the Good Samaritan. Let me point out, just from a part of that text that was read earlier, in Luke chapter 10, beginning verse 30, I want to just point out some of the things that the good Samaritan did. It says, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, talking about the wounded man, he had compassion on him and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set, on, set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, he took two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. I want you to notice six things that he did. First of all, he went to where the man was. He had compassion on this fellow who had been beaten and robbed and left for dead. He cared for his wounds, providing whatever we might say first aid kind of assistance that he could on the spot. He gave him a ride on his own beast, took him to the inn, and when he and and, and cared for him there. And when he left, uh, he provided for him even in his absence by telling the innkeeper, "You take care of him." And whatever more you spend, I'll come back and repay you for that. And then, notice, he promised to come again and make it right. I want to take those six things and suggest to you that the parable of the Good Samaritan actually sort of is a picture, in a way, of Jesus himself and what he did for us. You know, the parables have lots of applications. Some of them are primary, some of them are secondary. This, I think, is a secondary application to Good Samaritan. But have you ever thought how that the Good Samaritan and his deed there for the wounded man 
is actually a picture of Jesus and what he did for us. That was obviously a physical situation, and in regards to what Jesus did for us, we're talking about our spiritual situation. But I think there's some real parallels, and I'd like to draw those, uh, draw those out in our study this morning. The, the lesson has a very simple objective, and that objective is to get us to appreciate more and more uh, the redeeming and atoning work that Jesus did. We were lost in sin. We needed salvation. And God, through His Son, Jesus Christ, provided that, and we should be constantly mindful and grateful of the great things done for us through Jesus Christ. So that's uh, that's all we're going to try to accomplish this morning is try to get uh, get us to appreciate. You think that good? You think that wounded man appreciated the good Samaritan? Absolutely, right. Saved his life. Should we appreciate Jesus and what He's done for us? Uh, incredibly so, because He has provided the salvation of our eternal souls. And that'll be our study this morning. Let me stop here just for a minute to say. Thanks to everybody who's present. We're very grateful for everybody this morning. Glad to see you. Glad that you're able to be with us. We have visitors, and we thank you visitors for coming, and we want you to come back whenever you can. We'd love to sit down and talk with the, about the Bible with you. If you have questions and we could be of assistance, just say so, and we'd be glad to provide that assistance. Thanks for being here this morning. Let's take those six points of what the Good Samaritan did toward the wounded man and make the point about Jesus. Jesus came where we are. That's, what, that's the first thing that the Good Samaritan did, you know. The priest and the Levite had actually avoided the wounded man and went by without getting close enough to offer any assistance. But the Good Samaritan went right to him, right to where he was and the need that he had. Well, that, of course, is a picture of what Jesus did. And that should not be a thing that we take lightly. Think about Jesus enjoying the, the, the wonders of heaven but being willing to give that up to come here to be able to assist us when we were in such a desperate spiritual condition. You know, uh, the Scriptures talk about the great love that God had in sending His Son. God so loved the world, John 3.16, that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so certainly we see the love of God shown. And, and, and that's so amazing when we consider that we were absolutely unworthy of that. There's nothing that we did or could do that would have deserved that kind of measure. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, we often mention God commended His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I think a mistaken idea that men in recent years have developed is that we were so great, so wonderful, so special in God's eyes that He sent His Son Jesus to die for us. And that's just absolutely a, a, a wrong concept. We were so horrible, and our sins were so awful, and yet God, even while we were such terrible sinners and in such desperate, despicable condition, He sent His Son to die for us. Now, th- this, is not, this is not a testimony to how wonderful we are. It's a testimony to how great and loving God is that He sent His Son to die for us. But notice, He, he, uh, he did this when we were in this terrible predicament, like the wounded man was in that terrible predicament, we were in this terrible predicament. Philippians chapter 2, beginning verse 6, who, talking about Jesus, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, and being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. That passage there in Philippians 2 talks about what Jesus did, what he gave up to come here and live among men and to suffer the horrible things that he did 
on our behalf. Hebrews chapter 4, beginning verse 14 says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Jesus came here. He experienced everything that we experienced. And now he serves as a perfect high priest for us as uh, to mediate with God in heaven because he's been here and he knows everything that we've suffered. And so the first point, like the, like the good Samaritan went to the wounded man, Jesus came to us. And that's amazing when you stop to consider it. We see, we see then a parallel in the story of the good Samaritan. We notice also that Jesus or the Good Samaritan had compassion on the wounded man, Jesus has compassion on us. You know, Jesus is a compassionate being. And that's mentioned often in the Scriptures. Uh, I think if I counted right, in just the first three Gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, it's 14 times it's mentioned that Jesus had compassion on the people, like here in Matthew 9, 36. When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Jesus has compassion on us. When you study that parable of the Good Samaritan, I think all of us are just sort of repulsed by the priest and the Levite who, you know, made effort to, to keep some distance between them and the wounded man who didn't go to, to him, didn't offer assistance. They didn't obviously really care. They, they weren't moved. They, they weren't concerned about his situation. And the Good Samaritan shines above them, of course, because of his compassion. Now think of the compassion that Jesus had for us. Uh, we were in a situation like the wounded man where we could not help ourselves. Uh, we were just completely undone, without hope. And yet Jesus had compassion on us. We were in this shape. All of sin had come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So here, like the wounded man was in a life-threatening condition, we were in this spiritual life-threatening condition. And that is, we, we're guilty of sin. And what we deserve for our sins is to be lost forever in hell, to die eternally. That's the wages. In other words, that's what we have earned. Wages, what we've earned for our sins is to die in hell eternally. And yet, Jesus had compassion on us. We should never forget that. We should be so grateful. I, you know, sometimes I fear that we don't spend time really thinking about the significance of this. You know, we, we sort of take for granted. Well, yeah, of course we can go to heaven. No, we couldn't have gone to heaven if it weren't for the redeeming work that Jesus did for us. He came here. He had compassion on our spiritually lost condition. Otherwise, it was all over, and and there and there was the, the the story was told. It was finished until Jesus came and redeemed us uh, through His blood on the cross. What did the Samaritan do? Well, he offered, as we called it earlier, maybe maybe we would call it first aid treatment, but he 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 took effort to heal him of his wounds, and that's what Jesus did. Of course, the wounds that Jesus healed for us are the wounds of sin. Um, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, beginning, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye are healed. For ye were a sheep going astray, but now are returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. 
notice, by his stripes, the, the, the things that he suffered, the, the, the scourging that he endured before he was crucified, by his stripes ye are healed. Uh, that's, that's really amazing. Thinking about the wounds that the, the, the man on the road had suffered, those were physical wounds. They could have cost him his life. I mean, very likely he might have died if he had been left there without help. Certainly we would die if, if something wasn't done for wounds of sin that we suffer. Years ago, we had a friend, uh, we had a family, and they, uh, they had a son who was uh, suffering from cystic fibrosis. I don't know if any of you are familiar with that disease, but there, there was no cure for it then or now that I know of. It was a terminal thing. It was understood that he would die from this. And... Uh, it was really a sad thing. He lived to, into his early teenage years, lots of time spent in hospitals, but ultimately he did die from that. A terminal disease for which there was no cure, nothing could be done. What a terrible thing. I mean, we, we all agonized with that family for the things that they suffered through all of that. Well, what about us? That's really the condition we were in. We, we had this terminal condition of sin, and there was nothing that we could do about that. But Jesus stepped up, to provide a healing for what otherwise was a hopeless situation. We should never forget him for that. You think the Good Samaritan uh, would ever be forgotten by the wounded man? Don't you think that wounded man would forever remember what was done for him? Uh, Surely so. Well, we ought to never forget. We ought to always remember what Jesus did for us. He took our place. Now here... We may be making a little bit of play on the the storyline because you remember... What we're saying here is that the Good Samaritan got off his beast and he put the wounded man on his beast and so sort of traded places with him maybe would be a better way to say it. Jesus certainly did that. As we've been saying throughout our lesson, our deserved outcome was death. That's what needed to happen or what, what was going to happen. We were doomed to die spiritually, but now it is not so. In Hebrews chapter 2 verse 9, we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. In other words, Jesus, he tasted death for us, because that's what we deserve, and that's what we were destined to receive, but Jesus took our place in that, and he suffered death on our behalf. So we can then now enjoy all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. So do you see how there's sort of an amazing parallel here about the Good Samaritan and Jesus? One of the things that we ought to know about Jesus for sure is that he would never teach or expect people to perform at a level that he was unwilling to, to do himself. And so he told this famous story of the Good Samaritan but it, it wasn't just a, a philosophical exercise. It, it wasn't just an imaginary thing that would never be put into real practice in life. Jesus put it, put it into practice in his own life. Uh, so he was not expecting of us what he wouldn't do himself. The Good Samaritan provided for the wounded man in his absence. So when he got ready to leave the inn, he took the man to the inn. When he got ready to leave... Remember, he gave the innkeeper some money and said, take care of him. And so, in his absence, he, he provided for ongoing care for the wounded man, right? Well, how's our, how's our parallel line up here? 
Well, we see that Jesus did the same thing for us. He provided for us in His absence. He's gone now. He came to where... Back up a minute. He came to where we were. He had compassion on us. He healed our wound. He took our place. He provided for us in His absence. And that provision, of course, comes through the blessings that we have in Him and the information, the revelation that we have to live by in the Word. Our memory verse, Second Peter 1, verse 3 this week, here it is on the screen. What has He done for us in His absence? According as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. We've got everything we need now to make it. We can, we can do it with God's help and through the information of His Word, through the blessings He provides for us through Christ, through the whole uh, plan that God has established, not only for our initial salvation, but for our ongoing strength and encouragement, to, to have a body of believers to associate with, to have a promise of heaven and eternity. We've... Uh, our, our spiritual needs have been provided for in, the ab, in Jesus' absence. And that's a great thing. We should be grateful. Finally, we said there were six things that the Good Samaritan did. And here's the last of them. He promised to come back again. Remember, he told the innkeeper when he was gone, here's some money, take care of him. And if you spend more than that, I'm coming again and I'll pay you. But I will be back. I'm coming again. And certainly we see the direct parallel to Jesus promising to return. In John chapter 14, beginning verse 1, Let not your heart be troubled. Do you believe in God? Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Uh, many see in this the promise of being with the Lord in eternity. He's coming again for His own. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28, So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for Him shall He appear the second time without sin unto salvation. And so, there's your parallel. As I said at the outset, the lesson really has a very simple objective. We're not, we're not trying to prove anything other than to remind us all of what the Lord has done for us in providing for our salvation. You know the story of the Good Samaritan. Everybody knows that story, right? One of the most, as we said at the start, one of the most known stories in the Bible. Certainly one of the best known parables that Jesus ever taught. People unfamiliar with the Bible would know what you meant if you mentioned the Good Samaritan. If you said to somebody, well, he, he really was a Good Samaritan to me, you could make that biblical reference even to somebody who never reads their Bible and they would know what you mean. So the, the, the concept of the Good Samaritan, what the Good Samaritan did for the wounded man is well understood. Had you ever thought about bringing that into line with what Jesus did for us spiritually? I think there's a pretty, pretty neat parallel there, and we should always be grateful. As I said a moment ago, can you imagine that a day or two later, that wounded man would have forgotten the Good Samaritan? Not a chance. He would remember him forever, right? Well, that's how we ought to be. Just as grateful as that man was to the Good Samaritan, we ought to be even ultimately more grateful to Jesus for the wonderful things He's done for us in providing for our salvation. As we bring the lesson to a close, we'd ask you, have you availed yourself of that salvation? It'd be, it'd be beyond comprehension. You couldn't even imagine. Here's, the, here's this wounded man laying by the side of the road. He's near death. I mean, he's really been badly wounded. And the good Samaritan comes to him and he says, no, no, get away, leave me alone. 
Don't, don't touch me. I don't want your help. Don't, don't get near me. I, get away from me. You, you can't imagine that. You, you couldn't even begin to comprehend that the wounded man would reject the help that the good Samaritan was offering. And that, that's, that's just, that can't, you couldn't even, that doesn't even process. You couldn't even come close to thinking that. Do you know what? There are many people, and there may be one or more of you here this morning, who are doing that literally to Jesus. He, he has come to provide for you what you can't do for yourself. You're badly wounded in sin. You're destined to die eternally because of sin. Why would you push Jesus away when he has come to you to reconcile that situation, to make it right? Why would you reject that? That doesn't make sense. It doesn't make any sense at all. If you're not a Christian, you need to come uh, to the Lord in obedience to that simple gospel plan of salvation to receive the help which he freely offers you. Upon hearing the truth, believe it, repent of your sins, confess your faith in Jesus, and be baptized for the remission of sins. If you're a Christian already, uh, but you've fallen away, you might even imagine your situation as you've been out on the road again, and now you've been beaten up again, and you're mortally wounded again. But there's Jesus again offering to help you. If you've fallen in sin and you're not right with the Lord, we beg you to come back in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help, let us know while we stand and sing this song.